Well, if you want to turn with me to Titus, we're going to read Titus chapter 2. Let's let's just go ahead and read this whole chapter here together. But as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and steadfastness. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good, and so train the young women to love their husbands and their children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind, and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. Likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. Show yourselves in all respects to be a model of good works, and in your teaching show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned, so that an opponent may be put to shame having nothing evil to say about us. Bondservants are to be submissive to their own masters in everything. They are to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, but showing all good faith or fidelity, so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Declare these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no one disregard you. I'm going to start this morning just telling you kind of um, a thing that I like to do with my students back when I used to teach out at the um, JJC. I had a class of quite a large range of students, but a lot of times if we got a, a whole new class, which happened pretty often because uh, people were in and out, but um, I would show them this video of this experiment that is was a long-running ex- psychology experiment that they did where they would take little kids, I think they were four, four-year-old kids, and they would put them in a room and they would say, all right, I, I'm going to go out for a little bit, but uh, I'm going to put this marshmallow on a plate. Maybe you guys have seen this before. And if you don't eat it, when I come back, I'll give you two marshmallows. And they videotaped the kids, which surely the parents had to consent to this. But um, the, uh, the kids just sat there, and, and they have videos of the kids, you know, like rocking back and forth. Some of them turned around backwards so they couldn't see the marshmallow. And some would pick it up, you know, and sniff it. And, and um, all these, you know, different things. You can imagine all the different things the kids would do. And, you know, some kids ate the marshmallow, gave in before the person came back, and, you know, they were all alone in the room, so they were just acting like little kids, you know, squirming and singing and kicking their legs and pounding the table and just everything you can imagine. And um, some kids even ate out the inside of the marshmallow and put it back, you know, stuff like that. (laughs) So, anyways, all that is to say, um, they followed these kids. This was an experiment about self-control, basically. And then they followed these kids for like 20 uh, years. And they just kept checking up on these kids. And they found that the kids that could not eat the marshmallow and wait for two marshmallows did better on the ACT. They were more likely to go to college. They had a higher GPA. And there was all these things that um, were correlated with this four-year-old marshmallow test. And 
basically the study was about self-control. And really, it kind of makes sense if you think about it. Because the same thing you're doing when you're four and you're looking at that marshmallow, you want to eat it, but you also know it will be better if I don't eat it, um, is what human beings have to do every day of their lives um, in a lot of areas. And it's the same thing that a high schooler does. It's kind of fitting that I'm giving this illustration um, on the day we were talking about graduation because if you're a high schooler, what you did is over and over you set that marshmallow of, you know, basically having fun aside to actually study for the test or whatever, even though you knew I would rather do something fun right now than memorize all the presidents or whatever. That this, you know, self-control is something that we do all the time in many different areas in it. The reason that that experiment worked and predicted so many things is because self-control is such a big part of our lives, just naturally, whether you're a Christian or you're not a Christian at all. Um, it's really important. And so I would show that video and talk to my students and about, um, about it and just try and encourage them, basically, think about your future, you know, um, think about what you're doing. There's many things that you could do that might feel good right in the moment that will jeopardize um, something better in the future. And um, they kind of, you know, of course, liked the video and thought it was funny, but I'd also give them food, so they like that too. But anyways, all that is to say, um, today we're going to talk about that same idea, you know, self-control. And there's, it's actually the most common word here in Titus chapter 2, but it is and it isn't. There's actually multiple words for self-control in Greek. And so I thought, as we think about this, what is self-control? Why does this come up over and over here in Titus? You see, it says at the very end, which we read, that for all Christians, um, that the, this is at the end, verse 11 and 12, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. So that's for all Christians, but it appears in the list for every group except for um, the older women. It does not uh, appear in the older women. Um, but in First Timothy, uh, in First Timothy two, Paul does bring this idea of self-control for all women. So um, obviously, I think it's applicable to everyone since it's at the end. And also, he brings it in. I'll just read you that verse from First Timothy two, just so you know. It says, "Likewise, women should adorn themselves in respectable parable." apparel with modesty and self-control, not with braided hair or gold or pearls or costly attire, but with what is proper for women who profess godliness with good works. And so all women and men and every person here, um, self-control is important for every person, whether you're a Christian or not a Christian, but this specifically is dealing with Christians in the church. So to start out, I think the best way that maybe we could get this idea, what is self-control, is I'm just going to go over the three different words used for self-control, and they all have a little bit different meaning, but when we put them all together, I think you can kind of see, well, what is the Bible teaching us self-control really is? And so we'll start there. So the first word for self-control, it has the idea of being well-balanced. So well-balanced. It's the idea of you have everything going on in your life, and not one area is getting out of, out of whack, out of sync. 
and taking over the rest of your life. Um, that, you know, you could even say moderation. Um, and you could see how this idea of moderation is tied in with self-control. Because there's a lot of things that we want, um, but they have a place in our life. Um, they don't grow, they shouldn't grow out of control to where they hinder other areas of our life. Um, so this idea of being well-balanced, all pieces of your life are fitting together. One's not um, jeopardizing the others. And so back to the idea of high school, you could say when you're in high school and you're wanting to graduate, you could definitely um, become out of balance uh, or lack moderation in any certain area, and that would actually jeopardize either your, your high school grades or even your graduation if it was um, video games or staying up late watching movies or just not wanting to study because you want to do this or do that. Any, any area of your life really could get out of balance to where you're no longer self-controlled and things aren't fitting together. They're not balanced. There's not moderation. Okay, so that's the first word. The second one is a word that is related to the word wisdom, and it's the idea of thoughtfulness or prudence. So this word for self-control is really about thinking about what you're doing, and then you can see how that fits in with putting things in their proper place in moderation. So marshmallow example, the kids are thinking, you know, okay, I th- I'm thinking about whether I want to eat this. Well, I do want to eat it, but I know if I wait, I get two marshmallows. And so self-control is really them thinking this through, thinking through what they're doing and putting it in the right place. So the idea of wisdom or thoughtful um, is related to this idea of self-control. Thoughtful consideration of what you're doing and how it fits with the rest of your life. And then the last one is a compound word, and it's kind of like our English English expression, get a grip, you know. And it's basically in hand or in hold is the word, or in control. So you can imagine if you've got something in hand, that means you're in control. And this is the last word for self-control, just You've got a grip of yourself, um, and you are in control of yourself. Um, it's you're not out of control even to yourself. It could it kind of talks about restraining one your own desires and emotions and impulses. This idea of keeping yourself in hand. And so, if we put all these together, together, you can see what the idea of self-control from the Bible is. It's thinking. It involves thinking, thinking about what you're doing seeing how it fits with the rest of your life. Is this area getting out of balance, out of control, out of hand? Is it no longer me that's in control? Are my emotions or my desires running wild? And so that's, that's the three words, the three Greek words for self-control. Two of them are used in this passage, and we'll read a couple other passages. So then let's move on from there, just the overview of the words, and just talk about some passages from the Bible. Okay, what does this involve, this idea of self-control? And I'm going to read you some passages throughout the rest of the Bible that I think give us a good feel for this and what God has to say about self-control. So what, what are the different pieces of self-control we can, we can learn about from the Bible? Well, one piece is your internal life. Um, self-control involves what's going on inside of you. That's your thinking, your desires, your emotions, your will. All these things um, going on inside of you. God wants us to be able to control those and... Um, that's involved in the idea of self-control. You see this idea in Proverbs. I'll read you this verse from Proverbs 25. Like a city that is broken into and without walls is a man who has no control over his spirit. 
there's another verse very similar to that. Um, Whoever is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he who rules his spirit than he who takes a city. So what's going on inside of us, our spirit, that is our emotions, our thoughts, our will, our desires, all these things going on inside of us, the Lord expects us and wants us and will help us to put those in the right place through um, through his spirit, which we'll talk about in a little bit. But So let's just think about this together. And some of the passages in the New Testament bring out this idea of controlling these natural desires um, that we have. There's another one from, here's one from Proverbs, still the Old Testament, but this is a, this doesn't use the word self-control, but it gives the idea. This is in Proverbs 23. It says, When you sit down to eat with a ruler, observe carefully what is before you and put a knife to your throat if you're given to appetite. So the idea is, if you're sitting down to eat, you need to be control yourself, um, your appetite, and, and not let it control you. The same idea Paul talks about with using the word self-control in 1 Corinthians 7, 8, and 9. This is a different um, natural desire, but this is, To the unmarried widows, I say, that it is good for them to remain single as I am. But if they cannot exercise self-control, they should marry. For it is better to marry than to burn with passion. So we've got all these natural desires. Everybody has a natural desire um, for, to eat, you know, to have comfort, uh, to, you know, all these other things that go into just being a human being. No one is out seeking pain. Uh, everyone uh, likes a good meal. Um, people want to be married. Um, there's all these natural desires that, that go into our life. But self-control is when those desires are running your life, not you. That's a lack of self-control. Self-control is seeing that there's a person. These desires aren't me. Uh, I'm a person overlooking all these desires, and I can choose and decide what's appropriate at what time. And there's so many um, different examples of this. I'll give you one more from Proverbs about this. Um, This doesn't use the word self-control, but it gives the idea. I passed by the field of a sluggard, by the vineyard of a man lacking sense, and behold, it was overgrown with thorns, and the ground was covered with nettles, and its stone wall was broken down. And then I saw and considered it, and I received instruction, a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come upon you like a robber, and want like an armed man. So here's another natural desire, sleep. Sleep, is that a good and fine natural desire? Absolutely. Can it become, can you lose self-control? Um, the desire for rest, that's a good desire. But if it starts to consume the rest of your life where the desire for rest is controlling you, you're not controlling, you're not overseeing it, that's a lack of self-control. And so we all want to push the snooze one or two or three or many, many more times every day. But, you know, if we have a job, we know we have this greater desire, Well, which is I don't want to lose my job. <laughs> I want to be able to eat. And so... After I hit it however many times, I'm going to get up no matter what, and I'm going to make it in because that is the, that's better. That's more important than this natural desire. And so he's giving an example there, the writer of Proverbs, of somebody who decided, I'm just going to let that desire control my life, and it destroyed their life. Um, and their house was run down, and they didn't have food. So one more area. We could... Um, we could really describe these areas at the way that Paul talks about the rest of this whole section in Titus 2. 
So we talked about, if you remember, two things that govern the whole Christian life, faith and love. No matter what we're doing, we should be walking in faith and love. And I was thinking about that and thinking about different things people said. Actually, one person was like, well, what about self-control? It's like, well, yeah, that's a good point because self-control actually covers all the rest of these categories that we're going to talk about in Titus, the rest of Titus 2, which we could, we could split them up. This is the way I would split them up. Um, our, th- our thinking, so that would be all the internal things, our behavior, and our words. And so Paul is concerned about that. We're going to go through the re- all the rest of the words, not just one at a time. We'll get through them a little bit quicker than this week. But um, all the rest of the commands here, and we're going to split them up, men and women. We'll do men, and then we'll do women. But everything he says could be broken down into these three categories. Your thinking, your behavior, and your words. And he's concerned about those three areas in the life of the believers here in Crete. And apparently self-control was a big issue because he brings it up over and over more here than in the other letters, like to, uh, to Timothy. Um, so this is a big deal in, in in Crete, and we talked about you know the culture there in Crete and um, how even their words, uh, the name for someone who is in Crete is still in our language today, a Cretan, somebody who's not a good person, who lies, you know. And so he's saying, you guys are Christians, you're a church now, but the grace of Christ changes you, uh, changes your life. It affects every area of your life, your thinking, your behavior, and your words. And self-control covers all those. Um, We want to be self-controlled in our thinking. Uh, We don't want to let the things going on, our internal, the things going on inside of us, run us, run our lives. That It could be, for somebody, anger, or it could be worry, or it could be even... um, uh, focus. You're focused on um, something that's not good, or you're just focused on the wrong things. Um, we need self-control in the area of our internal life. We need self-control in our behavior. And so he talks about lots of things, um, whether that's how much you, if you have a little wine at dinner, he's saying don't get drunk. Um, he's talking about how wives, uh, if you're raising kids, this is how you should treat them. You should be kind. You should be self-controlled. There's times all of us parents, hopefully, um, or not hopefully, I think all of us would admit that we get frustrated with our kids and we have to exercise some self-control. And uh, many times we fail, too, and uh, we're too harsh or whatever. Um, so, in, and that's what Paul's saying here to, to wives, be kind in how you act towards your kids. Um, in the same way, submissive to their own husbands, I mean, I'm sure there's many times where the wife thinks this is a bad decision and you want to just say, that's stupid, I'm not going to do it. <laughs> but God's asking you to look to the husband as the leader, you know, and to say, you know what, God put you here and you're my husband, I'm thankful for you. That doesn't mean you're going to make every decision right. You don't have to say this out loud. <laughs> and just say, okay, let's try that, you know. And every once in a while, you might be surprised it works out. <laughs> and um, so anyways, all that is to say, we need self-control in every area, in our thinking, internal, in our behavior, and how we act, um, and then in our words. And Paul's concerned about this. He's, he's getting all these areas, and he's talking to each group about them. He's talking to women, women, uh, older women and younger women. Think about your words. Do you have self-control, or are you gossiping? Are you saying things that you shouldn't say to other people? Um, he's talking to younger men about their words. He's saying, younger men, the way you're talking, are people 
looking at that and they're bringing a reproach to you over that, the way you're speaking is not um, honorable. I don't know what that involved. That could, there's a lot of things that that can entail, but apparently the younger ladies uh, and older ladies in Crete were gossiping. Older men were talking in ways, and younger men, that did not, that was not honorable and was not respectable. And so here he is saying, you need self-control in all these areas of your life. So, so far, hopefully you can see what self-control is, how it affects and uh, is important in many and every area of our life, just like faith and love. Um, we're, we want to walk in faith and love. But I don't think it's as essential as faith and love, and we'll see that in just a little bit. Um, one thing I want you to point out, one thing I want to stop here and point out is you can be a real Christian and lack self-control. And you can be attempting to walk in faith and love and not have self-control. Peter talks about this. Why don't you turn here with me um, to Second Peter 1. This is a good verse here. Second Peter 1, verse 9. And then we'll just jump back to Titus after that. But Second Peter 1, 9. Actually, I'm going to start a little earlier than that. Um, let's start in 2 Peter 1, 5. For this reason, for this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, virtue with knowledge, knowledge with self-control, self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, brother, brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten what he was cleansed, that he was cleansed from his former sins. So one thing I want you to notice about self-control is Paul's exhorting the church uh, here to exercise self-control. To As you're walking out your faith, as you're living out what Christ did for you, um, don't neglect this area. And apparently... In Crete, they were. You know, this was maybe they were just giving in to their culture, um, whatever way that looked. That may have been in that culture alcohol, but in our culture, it might it might not be. It may not be for you that you're struggling with drinking too much. Maybe uh, watching too much Netflix or eating too much or a thousand other things. Um, but here's a question that I want us all to reflect on as we think about this idea of self-control. Having looked at all these things. Is there anything in your life, and ask, you know, we can even pray, Lord, would you show me if there's anything in my life where I'm not in control, um, something else is, where something is out of control, where I'm not the master, where my desire, um, whether that's internal or whether that's behavior or whether that's your words, is in control. Paul talks about this in 1 Corinthians. I'll read you this verse. He says, all things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful, but I will not be mastered by anything. Food is meant for the stomach, and the stomach for food. And God will destroy both one and the other. But the body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. So here in this case in Corinthians, they were using their liberty and doing these things that they, that they shouldn't be doing. But he's, he's telling them, is anything, he's asking this question, the same question I'm asking you, is anything mastering you? 
Is there any area of your life where it's not balanced, where you're not thoughtful, where you think, you know, this isn't how I actually want it to be. If I think about it ahead of time, if I think about my life, how do I want it balanced? This one thing begins to take over. Uh, Is there anything like that where it's controlling me? Whether that's an emotion, you know, it could be um, anger, you know, it comes out. And suddenly if you're angry, you you let it out. Um, It could be spending. It could just simply be I want things. And suddenly every time I want something, I just get it and get it and get it. And it consumes your life or it's... It's, um, it's taking over your, your life in a way that's hindering all these other areas of your life. You're not, you're not in balance. It, like we said, it could be entertainment. It could be words. Are you self-controlled over your words? You know, is there things that you're saying either that are just something you want to say? You know, it could be something going on with you. It could be um, something going on with somebody else. It could be a thought about somebody else. It could be a thousand things, but there's many ways in which if we're not careful, if we're not self-controlled, our words can hurt others and hurt our relationships. We already talked about sleep and comfort. All those things are fine desires. Uh, it could be the desire um, desire to get married. It could be anything like that. Um, is there anything where you're being mastered and it's taking over other areas of your life? It's spilling over to where... It's jeopardizing something else, hindering, hindering your ability to be who God made you to be in these other areas of your life. It could be something as simple as thinking. I thought this might be helpful. Think about the news, okay? Our culture is saturated with news, and we've got a lot of news going on, and it's a lot of, a lot of times, negative news. Think about self-control in the area of news, is the news, you know, either good news or bad news or whatever, dominating your thinking to where it's, you know, getting control over these other areas of your life where it's out of, out of balance? Um, it can happen. It can be fear. I mean, it could just be fearful. You know, you're looking at the news and you're seeing difficult things going on, whether that's coronavirus or the stuff going on over in Eastern Europe or a thousand other things to where it's consuming you internally. Your internal life is is consumed by what's going on in the news, whether that's politics or world events. It can happen. It can get out of balance. We have to have control, self-control to say, you know what, if I think about this, take some time to think and be prudent, right? The, one of the words for self-control is just thinking about it. What is a balanced life look like for me in the area of news? And is my life like that? Um, we don't want to be a city without walls, right? And that's what a person without self-control is like. And I'm just trying to give one example. Um, there's many possible areas. Any area of your life could become this. But if you're, I mean, I know that um, you can become, it can really emotionally and spiritually depress you um, to get in this cycle of just consuming all the time. And, I mean, even just the type of news we consume. There's a lot of angry news, isn't there? I mean, a lot of angry news. If we consume a lot of that, is Ask yourself, is, is there anger bubbling up in me um, over all these things going on? And is part of that just me consuming that, consuming that, consuming that, and it's taking over some of my internal life? Uh, it can be a big deal, and it can hurt us. Um, any area of our life, can we can lose balance. And it's probably different for every one of us, things we're tempted in more than, the, more than others. Men and women... 
um, may be different things. Um, you know, one thing you could do is just talk to your spouse. You know, it may be different backgrounds. I know um, if you've had somebody in your family get sick or chronic sickness, sometimes even just sickness can become this thing that you think about all the time, you know, um, and you worry about. We want to have self-control in, in every area. Give things to the Lord. It could be difficult things or it could be easy things. And I've shared this story before. Uh, in the 1936 Olympics, so that was the one that was in Germany, kind of a famous Olympics. This is kind of interesting. They didn't fly all the Olympians over there. They took them on this big cruise ship over across the, uh, the Atlantic. And so all the Olympians got together on this big cruise ship. And I don't know how long it took, quite a while, to get over there. And the, there was all the food you could eat, you know. And you can imagine in 1936, uh, some people didn't have a lot of food and weren't used to being able to eat seconds or even as much as they wanted. And so what actually happened is many of the American Olympians actually ate themselves out of the Olympics. Not, uh, not an exaggeration. So think about this. All the discipline that goes into, I think specifically the wrestlers were uh, one of the ones um, because there's weight classes there. And others just ate too much, period, and probably didn't perform as well. But um, some of the wrestlers literally couldn't compete because they had spent all this time and all these years training and training and training. Think about all the discipline and self-control that it takes to become an Olympic wrestler. I mean, that's pretty amazing. But then in, in the two weeks that it t- took to cross the Atlantic, the, they didn't have the self-control to make it there and to compete because of good, good food every night. So you can see that it may not just be difficult areas of our life that we need self-control. It may be the good areas. It may be when things, maybe for some of us, it's when things are going the best is when we are really lacking self-control. Not when the things are really difficult and you feel like saying something, you know, um, angry or saying something like that. It may be when everything's going really, really good that that's when we let go uh, and we lose self-control. Um, and so whatever it is in our life, we just want to ask ourselves, who's in control? Is it me or, or my desires? Is there something else to where God is not in control anymore um, that I'm letting these other things be in control? And I want to use this to kind of talk about the gospel, really, because this, this is really a picture of all of us pre-Christ. Uh, Philippians 3.19 says, this is talking about non-Christians, their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. This phrase, their God is their belly. We've talked about this before, but without God, um, with no God, you can let this happen, where it's like, what? What's in control? What's my ultimate master? And it becomes just whatever I feel like doing. Whatever makes me happy. Whatever makes me feel good right in this moment. That, their God becomes their belly. This highest principle that controls all these competing desires is simply whatever feels good. And I want you to think back. I mean, if you're a Christian, think back to before you're a Christian. All of us can say sin had mastered us. Right? There was areas in our life where we knew this is wrong. It makes me feel guilty. It hurts other people. And we were stuck. Every single one of us. Likely lots of different areas, but we were stuck in this pattern. 
of a lack of self-control and being a slave to sin. But the good news is Christ, right? That we don't have to be stuck there. That I remember coming to church, and I think I've told this story before, but I remember coming to church, there was a specific sin that I just felt terribly guilty about. And every week I would say to God, I pray the same prayer. And sometimes it was every other week or whatever, but I would just pray, God, I'm going to try harder next week. I'm going to try harder next week. And that went on for years where I had no mastery, right? This sin had mastery over me. I knew it was wrong. I wanted it to be gone. And I kept falling and falling and falling because I was doing it in my own strength. I was trying to um, to defeat it myself. But let's get to the good news here on self-control. We're not left alone. At the end of Titus 2, it talks about that the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for the blessed hope and the appearing of our of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. So you hear that? You hear the work of Christ in there. He came to redeem us. All the self-control that we didn't have, all the times where we uh, sinned, where we did things we know, I know this is wrong, but I'm going to do it anyways. God came to purchase us out of that. Not only that, he not only to purchase us and forgive us, but to purify for himself a people for his own possession. So he's, he's going to purify us, and then he's going to train us, it says. Train us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. In, at the, later on in chapter 3, it talks about the Holy Spirit. Um, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his mercy, by the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ. So here's the good news is, one of the fruits of spirit is self-control. That we're not in this alone. Um, Galatians 5, the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. God isn't going to leave you alone. If we lean on the Lord, if we're actually trusting Him, He doesn't just point us in the right direction. He puts His Spirit inside us to empower us and to help us to move and to give us the power to do that, to empower us to go forward in every area of our life. Um, But specifically what we're talking about today is self-control. We want self-control um, in our thinking. We want self-control in our actions and in our words. In every area, God wants to help us. And he sent us the Spirit just to do just that. But the Spirit is going to help us. It's the power on which we're leaning on to, to break the chains of sin, ultimately, in every area. Whether you're lost, that's the answer, is Christ. Or whether we're a Christian, the answer is lean in on him and ask for help. Uh, trust I want to read you one more passage here from Romans 8 that that's really kind of highlights this idea of the Spirit. Um, this idea of what we were like before we were Christians versus the Spirit empowering us and changing us. It's, this is Romans 8. 
For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if in fact the spirit of God dwells in you. And anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. So then, brothers, we're debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you will live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the spirit, by the spirit of God, are sons of God. So, just to conclude, lean on Jesus, right? Wherever we are, whatever we're doing, um, we need self-control. And the Spirit, through Christ, Christ will help us. And he's offering that to us. Lean on him, run to him, ask for help, confess your sins to him. And these areas that you need help. You know, one other thing you might do is talk to somebody. I mean, if there's an area in your life where you really are lacking self-control, one thing you can do is talk to your parents if you're a kid, um, if you're still living with your parents. If you're married, talk to your spouse. Talk about it. Ask for prayer. Ask them to pray for you. Ask, ask them to help you. Um, if neither of those are options, you can talk to one of the pastors or deacons. You could talk to somebody you know that's a good friend, a trusted friend. But... We need the Lord, um, and we want to honor the Lord, and this is, a, this is a big area. We want to mature, and just like we read in Peter, we don't want to just know the right things, um, to try and walk in faith and love, but not have self-control. We want maturity, and this is a part of it, is thinking about what God wants us to do and having that balance um, wherever, wherever that is, whether that's in our words, whether that's in our actions, in our thoughts, in every area, ask the Lord for help. And this is a blessing. This is something that we can be thankful for. Even though there's an imperative here, which is we want to walk this way, there's such a blessing, isn't it? I mean, think about just racing thoughts. I mean, all of us have had the experience of worry, just consuming worry. Something's going on. Something's really really uh, bothering us, and it keeps us up, you know, things like that. What a blessing to know that God is willing to help us to lay that aside, to carry that burden, and he's not going to let us just stay there. He's, he's given us the spirit, and we can lean on him and say, Lord, I'm really having trouble laying this thought or this difficulty aside, but you promised. You said one of the fruits of the spirit is self-control. You promised you'd help me. You'd give me life, and I'm trying. Would you help me to set this aside? Or you could think about the blessing of just think about Philippians. When we talked about Philippians, all the things it says to think about. Think about what's honorable, what's beautiful. Um, there's so many wonderful things to think about, and, and God's exhorting us. Think this direction. Think about Christ. Think about the good things God has done. Always be thankful. And what a wonderful life <laughs> to be focusing on these wonderful things that God has done, on who he is, and to be thankful constantly. We need self-control uh, for that to happen in our, th- in our thinking. And so we can lean on the Spirit. We can lean on Christ to help us. What a wonderful life to uh, have this, not only um, Christ is our example, what an example of self-control Christ is, but to have him present with us, helping us 
when we fail, when we fall short, um, when we're when we feel weak. And so this is this is an imperative, but it's also good news. And so let's pray together. Father, we just look to you, and we're asking in this one area of uh, self-control that we talked about this morning. We want to we want to walk in a way that is pleasing to you. Help us um, in our thinking, in our actions, and in our words. We want to have control, and we don't want to let our desires uh, run our life. Would you help us? I pray for kids um, in the church, just that as they grow, that you would grow them in self-control in every area. I pray, um, whether that's schooling or uh, interpersonal things or whatever, just have mercy there on our kids. I pray that they would come to know you and and be looking to you um, for help. We just ask for forgiveness in all the areas we fall short. Lord, help us. Um, forgive us and empower us as we go forward. I do ask that you'd help us to think on what's true and right and good. Um, uh, we don't want to be consumed by worry, or anxiety, or fear, um, anger, anything like that. Would you help us to be focusing on you and on what you've done in the world? Um, we want to be blessings to other people. Um, pray you'd help us to do that. We're just looking to you for help. We're thankful. And we thank you, Jesus, for the just the example of self-control you were and the difficulties you went through on our behalf. We hand these things to you, and uh, we love you. Amen.